Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Thank you. Good morning, Rooftop. How are you? You guys doing all right? Well, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Daniel. If I could get this to lean a little more. All right. Yeah, and it's, it's an honor to come and, and preach to you all in, uh, while Pastor Scott's on sabbatical. I, uh, I connected with him, I think, about a couple of years ago after the pandemic started. And uh, yeah, I really came to respect and, and, and love the guy, you know, um, so much so that I followed his hairstyle, right? <laughs> no, but uh, no, my hair was already like this. But but all kidding aside, you know, we, we connected at a you know variety of levels. You know, we both love soccer. You guys know he loves soccer, right? Both soccer fanatics. Um, yeah, we both love coffee. <laughs> he likes working. I I like eating. But anyways, um, yeah. And then uh, being a, a pastor of a church plant. Uh, I realize I'm kind of following his footsteps. He's about seven years older than I am, unless I'm, you know, uh, mistaken. And so he, to, to my knowledge, Rooftop's about, is about seven years old, right? right? And so that, now that's why he's on sabbatical. And so, yeah, I'm about seven years younger than him, and I planted our church, you know, right around that. So it's like, wow. So I've been sitting with him, gleaning and learning and, yeah, growing uh, with him together. So, yeah, I just want to celebrate and bless you guys. Uh, Congratulations on seven years, and just know that uh, there's a church that's looking up to you, <laughs> that's longing to uh, grow healthy, fruitful, uh, and solid as you guys are. So I just want to encourage you guys, and uh, bless you guys. Um, and yes, I do love the fact that Pastor Scott is getting a good extended time of Sabbath rest, amen, right? Because uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think we need it. Uh, you know, I come from a background, again, from a mission background, and missionaries are gung-ho, like, let's go get it type of people, right? It's like, let's go reach one more soul, let's get busy for God, rest, get rest when you go to heaven, right? That's our motto, you know what I mean? Like, rest is for when you get to heaven, and that was my dad until he died about five years ago, right? Overworking himself as a missionary. But anyways, I, I used to come from that kind of a mindset until, you know, within the past few years, my perspective has kind of shifted and changed. I've seen so many pastors struggling with stress, anxiety, burnout, and even depression. Right? My, some of my closest friends that are as tall and strong as Pastor Scott, you know, that I really looked up to, wow, they just, the stress disorder would just it, it would, it disable them. Where like one of my friends, he couldn't get out of the door for about a whole month. He couldn't take a shower for a whole month, right? Just that level of anxiety and and stress and all of that, you know, causing something to build up within the soul, right? Uh, a few years back, just in the broader OC area, two pastors that I don't know personally, but they're, you know, names of, if I name the churches, right, they're, they're churches that we know well, but two pastors actually, uh, you know, couldn't get out of that whole anxiety and depression uh, and, and were led to the point of taking their own lives, actually. I don't know if you guys heard. Uh, and again, I used to not be so compassionate about people who struggle with anxiety and depression. I'm like, where's the faith? Come on, Jesus alive, yo, right? Uh, but in the past five, six years of my life, I've not only seen it in the people around me, but I've been going through 
Well, I'm kind of out of it now. Don't, I don't want you to get worried about me this morning. <laughs> but I've kind of gone through about a five-year period of, of a deep, dark tunnel myself, you know, where relationships were so hard, and I was just caught in anxiety. And in the middle of that, right, when it rains and pours, my dad passed away about five and a half years ago. The guy that I loved and respected more than anyone, I finally understood the word, the meaning of the word grief experientially, you know, just deep pain. And all of this jumbled together, it caused a season of depression and darkness. And then I just started looking around, and I see it all around, right? I, for sure, for the last two and a half years, we've been going through a, a pandemic, but I think there's another epidemic that's going on, right? That if we just pay attention a little bit, uh, we, we'll see it. And it's an epidemic of stress, anxiety, and soul restlessness, right? Soul restlessness. We live in a world and generation that's marked by stress, anxiety, and depression, and a restlessness. I, I want to call our generation and our world a restless one. Can we all agree? You guys kind of see that maybe a little bit, right? It's a restless generation and world. Uh, now, some people say that anxiety and depression was always around, and our generation and our world were just a little more vocal about it. I think it's a yes and no. Yes, it's true. Ever since the fall, we've been disconnected to God, so there's always a sense of restlessness without God's presence in our lives and a relationship with Him. But at the same time, if you pay attention to our culture and the unique setup, right, I think we're uniquely set up for more restlessness in our, in our hearts, right, in our culture. Uh, a stat says one out of every 13 or 18% of U.S. population over the age 18 are affected by an anxiety-related issue, right? And so you kind of look at our culture and what, what, what's the unique shapings or, or, or the characteristics that causes our world, right, and, and to become more like that? There's at least three things we can identify. First is just the sheer speed of life that we live in, right? Uh, just about a couple hundred years ago, they say, they, uh, you know, if people used to sleep 11 hours average, right? Think about the time before electricity, right? Things were a lot slower. But nowadays, right, everything's just so fast-paced and so rapid and busy. Multitasking is like the name of the game nowadays, right? I remember visiting a youth kid once. I walked into his house in his room, and he has a movie playing on one screen. Uh, there's music playing in the background. He's talking on the phone, on the speakerphone with a friend, and on his console playing a game all at the same time, you know? I, I thought I was going to get anxiety just by watching him, you know? But that's kind of the norm nowadays, right? Uh, the second kind of factor is that we're bombarded and overloaded, overwhelmed with TMI from all over the world constantly, right? Uh, have you heard of a smartphone before, right? At the tip of our fingers, like just a few weeks ago, I was on YouTube. I think I'm, I got to make a confession. I'm kind of a big addicted to YouTube, right? I'm trying to get out of that, but this news feed thing pops up, and it's like about the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Anybody see that? You did? Wow, that's awesome. Uh, anyways, so <laughs> 70% of like a part of it, it's like corroding and it, like it's not in good condition. And I'm like, I started getting, I shared that with my wife, you know, and we're like, my wife started getting worried together. And we're like, we've never been there yet, honey. What if it, what if it collapses before we get there, you know? And, and now we're here in Yorba Linda, California, worrying about something so far away that doesn't even matter to us, you know? And I'm like, wow, maybe we were never meant to be so bombarded by, you know, maybe that's God trying to be sovereign over all the news of all over the world. Maybe we're not God, maybe, right? But, but anyways, that, I think that causes us, right, to try to take in way too much than what we're <laughs> made to take in. The third aspect here is 
the hyper-individualistic culture that makes us feel isolated, right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very rare to find deep connections with friends and, and community nowadays. And all that put together, I think our generation and world and culture is becoming shaped to be more vulnerable to restlessness, right? Mental illness, anxiety, different forms of restlessness, right? I think the key word is restlessness. And I've developed a deep compassion for our restless generation, right? Uh, we're all sitting here uh, this morning. But if we can be very honest, I believe to varying degrees, we're all experiencing right, some levels of restlessness in our daily lives. Right? And who knows, maybe some of us, it's deep. Because right? Right? no matter what you show on the outside, right, I think we all go through seasons and different levels of that kind of pain or sorrow, grief, or restlessness. And so to this restless culture and to us, Jesus is inviting us to find rest in him. If we can all turn to our main passage today in Matthew chapter 11. This is a really well-known passage, right? And I heard Pastor Tavis kind of mentioned it uh, during the conference as well. We're going to read it twice. First time, I just want you to soak in the, the meaning of it. Try your best to do that. Then the second time when we read it, I want you to pay close attention and try to find something that might be a little odd or weird, okay, as you're reading it. So let's read it twice together. Let's read it once, first time. One, two, three, go. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We're going to read it one more time, and I want you to pay attention. Try to see if anything stands out as odd, okay, or a little strange. One more time. One, two, three, go. Anybody want to take a stab? Anything stand out to you? Shout it out on the rooftops, everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, come on. Great, great answer. All right, let's pray. <laughs> it's true, right? It's, it's true. If you really think about it, isn't it strange, right? He's calling people to rest. And then in that same sentence and same calling and breath of what he's saying, he's like, and take upon my yoke. What's a yoke? Yoke equals work. You know, yoke is what they used to put on the oxen, right? Oxen. It's what they used to, to plow the field and, and carry heavy loads of, of stuff, right? So he's saying, rest. And we come to him. And it's like, it's kind of weird, right? Jesus, what? I came to, to, to not work. And now you're calling me to, to another yoke? Uh, right, what's going on? And then there's a second word that's weird too. He says, take upon my yoke and then learn from me. When's the last time you related resting with learning, you know? Right? You know, my form of rest is solving 50 math problems. Or I don't know, right, whatever learning is, right? I mean, you never heard of that before, but it sounds like, what? Learn from me, right? How in the world is learning resting? 
I think first thing I want to point out here is the realism of Jesus. How real Jesus is, right? He's basically saying what? Uh, he's very realistic. He's saying that there's no such thing as a yokeless life. Life on this earth is a yoke. Life comes, right, with responsibilities, tasks, burdens, assignments, and calling. That is life on this earth, right? And, and so he's not selling us some unrealistic hope here, right? There's no such thing as life in a vacuum, free and immune from burdens and the weight of life, right? But the neat thing is that Jesus is inviting us to come under his own yoke, under his own yoke. That's kind of a yoke, right? And the imagery here is a double yoke. Right? right right, there, right? Yeah. So the image is that Jesus himself, usually what they would do is they would pair up a very experienced, strong, wise ox with a less experienced, weaker ox, right? And what's the imagery? It's that the younger one learns and pays attention to how the stronger one works, right? And so in essence, Jesus is saying what? I am that wiser, better, stronger one. And I want you to come and join my yoke, come under my yoke. And you could imagine, right, this young ox coming in. And, you know, if the ox tries to not pay attention and do his own thing, you can imagine how difficult life is going to be for that ox, right? Can you imagine, like, oh, oh this way, oh, right? It's just like, oh, how tiring and, and burn, burn out, you know, that, that ox is going to be. But if that ox begins to pay attention to the master ox, right, to the rhythms, to the ways, to the heart and how he does things and just joins him and keeps in step and learns that way of that master ox. You can imagine all of the hard lifting is going to be done by what? That, that strong ox, right? And that's the kind of life and restfulness that Jesus is inviting us into. And here's what really stands out, right, to me. The second thing that stands out here is that the wisdom of Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't offer a temporary break or time off, okay? Although those things are very good and necessary in our lives, we need a rhythm of when we work and not work and all of that. But he offers us something more. He offers a lasting solution, a way of life, right? Because he knows he can offer a momentary rest, but, you know, we rest a little bit and get back to life. And unless our heart has changed and grown in a certain way, you get back to your reality and, you know, that person ticks you off again. This situation happens. This trial comes in. You're straight back into your old, restless, anxious, depressed self, right? And so Jesus isn't offering us a vacation. He's offering us a way of life, right? Instead of offering a momentary rest, he invites us, in other words, to become apprentices of him and learn the way he lives life. Does that make sense, right? He's offering something so much more. Um, yeah. So that we can live rested no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what happens in our lives. See, that's the calling that he has for us, which leads me to, to, to note this very important principle about rest is this. Rest is not primarily about what's going on in your circumstances, or it's not even about you being actively working or not. Rest is about the state of your heart. It's about the inner disposition of your heart. Does that make sense? Rest, much more than it is your circumstances or trials or whatever, or being active or non-active, 
It's about the state and inner disposition, inclinations of your heart. In other words, you can be very active and your heart can be still rested. And you flip that around. You can be doing nothing and not much might be going on in your life, but your heart can be super restless and tired and fatigued at the same time, right? If you go to Luke chapter 10, um, you know, you can really see this highlighted, right? This is the really well-known story of Mary and Martha. Uh, and it goes something like this, verse 38, right? Jesus entered a village. Uh, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was, what's the word there? Can we say that out loud? One, two, three? Distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, right? You, you, you hear the angst and uh, the turmoil, right? The uproar in her heart. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good portion, that one thing that's necessary, which is what basically to abide in him, to rest and stay connected and rely and depend on him in that intimate way, right? It's intimacy with him, intimacy with him, right? Which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you reverse that story, uh, the main point is highlighted. Because if you misinterpret it and mistake it, often you could, you could take it as though, see, we, we, you know, we shouldn't serve too much. We should rest. So where's the place for serving, you know, in active work and ministry, right? That's not his point. His point is that Martha's heart was distracted. It was the inner disposition of her heart that was Jesus' point. You can reverse the story. And I want you to use a kind of a sanctified imagination with me, right? Imagine Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house, and this time you see Mary, she's doing nothing, but her face is, is frowning, and you can tell that something's off about her, and she's just worried by the different things going on around the village and everything, and oh, she's, kind of, she's not happy, and she's upset, and, and then you look over to the kitchen, and there you see Martha, her face is glowing. There's a smile. And as she's fixing dinner for Jesus, she makes eye contact with Jesus. Jesus is speaking, and she pays attention there. Her heart's rested. And she's serving in a way, right, that's full of joy. And then you can almost hear Mary looking at Martha, and she's like, what are you so happy about, right? She's just not happy. And you can almost hear Jesus saying to Mary this time, Mary, why are you so distracted in your heart? Your heart's troubled and anxious. Martha's chosen the right, the one thing that you should go after, the right portion. And what is that portion? Right, if you read the Psalms, it always says, you are my portion, right? It's that intimate, trusting, dependent, loving relationship that we, that we can enjoy with the Lord in his presence. And from there comes restfulness, comes this relaxed inner disposition, right? And so rest is about an inner disposition and composure of your heart. And so what Jesus is doing through this passage is what? Yes, I'm calling you to rest from the restlessnesses of this world and your hearts. But that same invitation to rest is actually an invitation to learn his way of living life. Because if anyone lived a rested life, Jesus lived it. You guys all remember, right? A storm was there, and they were traveling on a boat. Everyone's panicking. Jesus, we're going to die. Don't you care? We're going to sink. Ah! And Jesus is so rested, like literally, right? He's sleeping over there. 
And I, I don't think that was just because of fatigue, not only fatigue, it was because his soul was really rested. He wasn't troubled by the storm. And he's so rested that he is able to calm everyone around him and even calm the storm itself. Even at the cross, remember, guys, what if you were crucified on the cross? They're flogging you and you go crazy like the other, you know, the crazy one, you know, on Jesus' one side, right? But Jesus was so composed, he was so rooted and grounded and anchored and rested that on the cross, he prays, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, talk about restfulness. Talk about composure of your inner being and heart, right? And so Jesus is saying, learn my way. And the more you can learn to walk with me and work with me in your daily 24-7 life, you will find rest for your soul. Your hearts will become a rested heart, right? And you'll be able to enjoy that quality of life. And so he is calling us as apprentices, guys, right? Turn to somebody next to you. I, I don't know. I'm going to be myself. I, I tell people to talk to people next to you at my church a lot, you know. Say, Jesus is calling you as an apprentice. Say that to somebody next to you. Right. <laughs> it's the Greek word mathetes or the Hebrew word tamadim. Right? And this understanding of our relationship with Jesus as him being our rabbi and us learning his way of life and us being apprentices under him is something that's very much lost, I think, in a lot of our Christian evangelical world, and something that we need to restore. See, we don't have a problem with believing that Jesus is Savior, right? Yeah, he died for my sins so I could trust in him and pray the prayer, and when I die, I'll, I'll be in heaven, right? But if you really look at Jesus the way Jesus preached, he never preached that kind of a message. He never said, trust in me so you can, when you die, you'll be sure you'll go to heaven, although that's an important result of our faith. That's not the essence of eternal life. When he describes eternal life in John 17, 3, he says what? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, right? In John 10, 10, he says what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and abundance. Jesus' invitation is not a location when you die. He came not only to bring us back to heaven, but bring heaven back into us, right? That's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to really do. And when he called people, he didn't call people to trust in him so they can go to a place. He called them as disciples. He said, come and follow after me. And even in today's invitation, right? It's, yeah, you can find rest in me, but not just one time, right? When you first trust in me, learn under me, right? Take upon my yoke, become my apprentice, and learn how I do life and have my being, right? then your life will continue to be transformed and you'll be able to live the quality of life that I live. You see, guys, oftentimes when we read the Gospels and we read about Jesus and how amazing and how rested he was, we tend to kind of put him in a different like, category. He's God. And it's true. Jesus is fully God. But when he came to this earth, he was fully man. You guys all know that theologically, right? He's fully God but fully man. In other words, Philippians 2 says he gave up his divine attributes, for the time being, voluntarily. So you guys, when you read the gospel and you read about Jesus, he is our ultimate model of the, the original human being that we were meant to be. Life as it was meant to be lived in the kingdom of God, in unity with God. 
Does that make sense, right? So when we look at Jesus, he is our role model. If we don't think like that, we, we tend to think of him as like, oh, that's Jesus. Ah, that doesn't, you know, oh, there's nothing to learn from that, right? That's Jesus. No, he did everything he did. That's why if you read the Gospels, he says what? I only do what I see the Father doing. Guess what? He did everything out of intimacy with the Father. He, so he limited himself. And he was only able to do everything he did because he was so connected with the Father. And time and time again, it says he was driven and led by the Spirit. So what does that tell us? And then he, when he leaves in like John 14, 15, 16, 17, he invites us into that same union. So he became the ultimate role model of life lived on this earth in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of restlessness, of how we can live rested if we can learn to live the lifestyle that he lived, right? As apprentices of Jesus. Hmm. You guys doing all right? Okay. By the way, good job with praise. I was so blessed. Yeah. So, Jesus is inviting you to rest equals Jesus is inviting you to apprentice under him. Not just to give you an initial temporary type of relief, but a character logical. That's how we say it. Theologians make things difficult, right? It's, it's become part of your heart and just your wiring now that, you know what, I'm rested. And the world can, can collapse, but I can remain rested if we can learn to be his apprentice and learn his way. So I'm going to unpack it in three steps, all right? What does it mean to then learn or be an apprentice of Jesus, to learn that way of life of Jesus, right? Three steps. First is to be with Jesus. Can everybody say that? To be with Jesus. Second is to become like Jesus. Third is to do like Jesus, right? So the first step of, first movement of being his apprentice, to learn that restfulness that he possessed. First of all, you need to, we, we are called to be with Jesus, right? In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, by the way, a lot of the things that I'm sharing are, you know, I'm part of a network uh, with Don Mark Comer. I don't know if you heard of the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Right, so our church is kind of enrolled under him, and so a lot of things that I'm sharing is, is from his teaching, actually, right? So there I referenced it, okay? <laughs> no plagiarism here. No plagiarism. Man, K-pop's crazy with plagiarism these days. You know? Oh, anyways, okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So where do we start? Number one. Oh, man, I used to like you here. But anyways, all right. Um, be with Jesus. Can it, yeah, be with Jesus. So the first thing Jesus calls his apprentices is to simply be with him. Mark 3.14. He called the 12, but underlined there, right? The first thing is what? I just want you to simply be with me. And that's exactly what students or apprentices or disciples or learners of rabbis would do. He would, Jesus wasn't the only rabbi. There were a lot of different rabbis and groups of apprentices around them. So what they would do, literally, they would walk like him, eat like him, sleep like him. Like they would 24-7. This was not a metaphor. They took it literally, right? And so a blessing that they used to use is what? To, to those apprentices of various rabbis, they would say as a greeting, as a blessing, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? Because rabbis used to be itinerant preachers. So if you really followed and be with your rabbi very closely, you would, and, and back in the day, they didn't have cement, right? So you would be, literally be covered by the dust of your rabbi, right, right behind him. So that's kind of the imagery, to actually be with him 24-7, like the, the first disciples did. 
right? And, and Jesus modeled this through his own life of how he was always with the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? He was always constantly moving away, slowing down from the crowd and the busyness and the demands, pulling away, right, to find rest with the Father, to spend time in solitude, in the lonely place. And he would always get his heart and soul anchored and rooted and rested. And now he's calling us to develop a similar lifestyle as his, right? As his. And you might ask, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Because the disciples had Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's seated on the right hand of God in the throne, right? How can we be with him? The answer is very simple. It's through the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus, before he ascended in John chapters in the upper room discourse, he promised, if I go, it's going to be better for you because I'm limited now physically. But man, when I go, my spirit's, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be connected with him 24-7. In fact, he's going to indwell you, right? And so we, the first step is to be with him. In other words, to, to live, to practice and, and, and learn this way of living Aware of the Holy Spirit 24-7. Does that make sense? Right? To, to, to develop a, a, a habit of his awareness. Brother Lawrence in his book, right? The practice of his presence. That's what it is. It's to constantly develop a habit of focusing our minds on him. To constantly, what I often do, I used to do for a season in my life, is I, was, I would imagine that yoke. And I would imagine Jesus over here. And I'll be like, oh. You know, throughout the day when I felt stressed, when I felt tired, when I felt like burned out, right? I would, I would practice that. So you're constantly practicing in your heart and mind to lean upon him. Oh, Holy Spirit, I, I, whenever I breathe, I'm like, yeah, I, I rely on you as though I take my breath in and out, right? Jesus in John 15 called this abiding, remain in me, right? It's this idea that we never leave him, that we build this habit of walking with him, um, I want to read this quote by you by Dallas Willard. It said this, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Right? You want to be rested? Here it is. The first step. Practice keeping God before your mind. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing this, right, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. That's the calling and vision right there. Right? And, and, and the key word here is practice. Can everybody say that? Say practice. Right? This is so key. This is so, so key to practice, particularly spiritual disciplines that constantly redirect our minds back to him, right? And so what I've been practicing is I've, I've turned my phone into a dumb phone a little bit, so I don't get notifications. That's why I was so late responding to Pastor Tavis. I'm so sorry, forgive me, right? But I don't get nothing, right? Because I felt myself getting anxious because of like, oh, it didn't even ring, but I'm like feeling it, you know? I'm like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I'm sick, you know? So, you know, turning everything off, right? And 
And then I tend to pull away very regularly. And, and I'm practicing what's called, a, for example, a daily offices. I wake up in a certain way in the Word of God, right? Trying to find that, that glorious place in His presence, relying in my belovedness in Christ is what He's done, right? And then I, I, I have three alarms that do go off. So I get three notifications, not any other, anything else. Uh, 10, 10 a.m., 2, 10 p.m., and 6, 10 p.m. My alarm goes off. It plays a gentle worship song. And it's just my way of redirecting my mind. And I based it off of passages, right? John 10.10 for the morning one. Ephesians 2.10 for the afternoon one. Ephesians 6.10 for the evening one. And sometimes I spend five seconds. Sometimes I spend like a split moment even because I'm in the middle of someone or something, right? Sometimes I spend an extended time. But what I'm doing is throughout the day, I'm, I'm habituating myself to lean on him, to abide in him, to be reminded that, oh, I'm dependent on you. I take a few deep breaths, right? And I find myself realigned. And I've been doing this for about quite some time now. And I don't have time to share all the testimonies, but I'm seeing the change in my own heart. Like this last week, there was a situation that came to me. And originally, I would have been angry. I, I also confess that I have an anger issue, right? But man, the same situation came to me. And I'm like, initially, I felt the same kind of urge of bitterness and like, oh, right, grumpiness. But then, whoa, I found myself redirecting my mind suddenly. And I'm like, wow. I think it's been at least a year since I practiced those rhythms, right? I'm like, wow. I feel like it's a little bit, right? Little by little bit every day, right? But there's a little bit of shift there that I discovered. And I'm like, praise God, you know, praise God. There's two things I want to point out here, highlighting the word practice. First is this. We can't live the life of Jesus without living the lifestyle of Jesus. Right? This is a powerful statement. What do I mean by that? Right? We, we imagine the life of Jesus. Wow. Jesus is inviting us to, to live life like him. Wouldn't it be amazing to live life at his quality, of the quality of eternal life, where, where we can literally feel God with us all the time, that we're not worried, we're not anxious, there's power, there's wisdom, there's authority, there's love, forgiveness, grace oozing out of us, and that quality of life, right? Doesn't it sound amazing if you would, could you, you would never become worried? That you could live in that restfulness, as much as that sounds amazing, without first learning the lifestyle of Jesus, we're not going to be able to live that quality of life of Jesus. Right? It's kind of like this. At our church, we have a marathoner, right? And she is fit and healthy, and she runs well. I can look at her and say, I want that quality, right? I want that quality of life. And let's say I go out and I'm like, I'm going to do it, and I start running a marathon. What's going to happen? You'll see me in the news tomorrow morning, right? <laughs> Pastor in OC, dead on the side of the street, right? <laughs> Over whatever, right? What, can, what I can do is what? I can learn her lifestyle. What do I need to start with? I probably need to cut down on my barbecue, right? right? On the stuff I eat and how much I eat and what I eat, right? She has a strict thing. She has a lifestyle. She runs how many times a I was going to say a day, but probably how many times a week, you know, and the different training, you know, regimens that she goes through. Only if I begin to learn her lifestyle, maybe my being will be transformed a little bit with less belly fat and a little more fitness and better, you know, functioning. And maybe one day I'll be able to do a quarter of the marathon. Maybe after a year, I'll do a half a marathon. 
And maybe if I continue to learn that lifestyle and live into that lifestyle, I can do the whole marathon. It's the same thing, right, in our relationship with Christ. Jesus promises things. But we have a habit of like, oh, you promised me peace, but why am I not living that? But we, we lack the whole practice part. Right? It's kind of like you go to the gym and they teach you, this is what you can be, guys, right? And then, but eat like this, do this this week. And you go home and you're like, you don't do a single thing. And you come back and it's like, yo, coach, false promise. It ain't working for me. Peace out, right? That, that's ridiculous. But that's what we do to, at church and, and to Jesus many times, right? What, what, what have we changed in our lifestyle? What have we really practiced to be with him? And then we come back and no wonder we're not having more peace in Jesus. No wonder we're still the same anxious, depressed person, right? Because we didn't change anything in our lifestyle. So what I'm trying to emphasize is we need to implement this. If it's not in your schedule, it ain't going to happen. We need to set apart and prioritize these solitary, silent, deeply rooting habits to be with the Lord. And it's not going to happen overnight, little by little. But one day you'll see that change coming upon you. Another important statement here is that we don't try to be like Jesus. We train to be like Jesus. It's kind of in that same spirit, right? If I don't play the piano too well, and there is no piano here, but anyways, if you gave me like this masterpiece, right? Like Beethoven's For Elise, okay? Right? You told me to play it. No matter how hard I try, I can pray for five hours in tongues, and I could muster up like 10 hours of willpower, mind control, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And I sit down and I try, and I'll fail. No matter how hard I try, I am not going to be able to do it. But what I can do is I can train myself. I can start with little by little, and I practice one month, three months, six months, maybe after a year, you put that piece before me, and my eyes can follow the notes, and my hands are kind of following, and I'm like, it kind of sounds like for Elise, it kind of sounds nice, you know, and I can actually live into that, right? The same thing in our relationship with Jesus, and our transformation, we have to get into this mindset of, yeah, we're going to train, right? And that's what the spiritual disciplines are, right? It's, spiritual disciplines are the things you can do in your direct power right now so that you can do the things you can't do in your direct power right now, right? I might not be able to forgive that guy that just cut me off on the freeway, but I can turn to you for a second today. And as I continue to practice turning to you and, and surrendering and yielding to you, maybe one day that guy will cut me off on the park in the freeway and suddenly I'll see a change in my heart. Bless you. Right? right? Or something like that, you know? Right? You, you, you see what I'm getting at, right? You train and instead of trying. And I believe this is like, I'm going to sound heretical, but stop trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> We're going to fail miserably, amen, right? I fail every day trying to be like him directly. But what I can do is follow small things of practices. And one day I will find myself become more like him, which is my second point, right? As we behold him, we are transformed and conformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. So second step is as we 
practice being with him, we're inevitably naturally going to be conformed into his likeness, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says what? And we all with unveiled face, beholding, when we be with him, when we see him for who he is, when we grow in that intimacy with him, in the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image we see, right? From one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And, and so, this change and becoming, though, is not a shallow outward behavior modification. A lot of times, we think that Christian change is like, you still feel like sinning, but you've grown, so you, know, you have stronger willpower, so you're not going to sin anymore, right? And many times, we think of it like that. It's like, you know, I still love to lust, and oh, I'm still... But you know, I'm Christian, I'm not going to do it anymore. Or you know what, I don't want to love, but you know, I'm Christian, so I'm going to try to love. No, the change is inside out. It's a change of our inner desires and inclination and wiring and disposition, if you would. So it's a change from the inside out where, you know, I actually want to forgive. I want to love. I want to sacrifice. I want to give everything for the Lord, right? It's this inside out. And I, and I hate sin. You know, Dallas Willard was walking across the campus. He, he was a professor at USC, and he stepped on dog poop. Right? And he's so holy, he had a revelation from God, even stepping on dog poop. He steps on the poop, he's like, oh, right? And he looks at it, and you know what he said? He said, it would be a good day when I look at sin, and this is how I feel. Wow. Powerful revelation after stepping on poop, you know? But that's the kind of change and, and, and transformation that God desires, where our hearts are so transformed and made holy that I actually don't like sin anymore. I actually don't desire that anymore, right? That I actually do want to love and forgive. So we're basically learning the character of Jesus. And this is such an important aspect. So our modern day church has pedestaled gifting over character. And you see what happened in the church. There's so many moral failure among Christian leaders. There's great pastors and church leaders that are horrible husbands, horrible parents and horrible neighbors and horrible friends. So we need to get back to the heart of it, right? It's, it's, it's character transformation into the likeness of Jesus. That's what really matters. That's what we're going for here. Um, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen automatically. It takes a lot of intentionality, right? To become a characterologically rested person, a person of composure, rootedness, grounded, anchored, peaceful, gracious, loving, forgiving, I want to read you this quote by Eugene Peterson. He said, One aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue and character, right? Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier Christians called holiness. And this is what we need more in our lives, right? This patient, following, obedient apprenticeship under Jesus' yoke, his easy yoke, his gentle yoke. And then the third result of that is that we get to do what Jesus did, right? That's ultimately where we want to be at. Right? To live the quality of life of Jesus, to become unique versions of Jesus in our marriages, our singleness, our family, as parents, and in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in this city, in our world. Right? 
to become salt and light, right, ultimately. When we be like him or be with him, become transformed into his likeness, we'll naturally be able to do the things that Jesus did, right, at his level, hopefully, little by little, right? We'll be able to do the things that he did and even greater things, like he said in John 14, 12. And, and that, that's the vision, right? To be able to bring peace into anxiety, to bring hope into depression, to bring love into a divide, divided, hating world, to bring forgiveness into bitterness and a world of bitterness, to bring grace into a judgmental, hostile environment. Right? That's the dream that Jesus has for, for each and every one of our lives. You know, there's this really famous synonym that Christians know and it goes like this, WWJD. You guys know, you heard that before, right? Bracelets. Any youth group people back in the days? Bracelets. WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I'm not, I'm not knocking on this. This is a great question to ask. But what I'm saying in, in the spirit of today, the importance of practice and progress is if you ask that question and try to do it, you're going to fail. So I have a better t-shirt idea, okay? If anyone makes t-shirts or bracelets, here's a better one. It goes like this. W-D-J-D-I-O-T-C-T-K-O-R-H-H-W-T-F-I-O. And what it is is, what did Jesus do in order to cultivate the kind of relationship he had with the Father? In order to be the kind of person he was, in order to do the kind of things he did. Shall we say that together? Just the top one. Ready? Go. W-D-J-D-I-O-T-C-T-K-O-R-H-H-W-T-F-I-O-T-B-T-K-O-P-H-W-I-O-T-D-K. Okay, whatever. But you get the point, right? The better question to ask is, wow, how do I learn his lifestyle? How did he really abide in the Father and Spirit? Because that's the only, his relationship with the Father and the Spirit was why he was the kind of person he was. He wasn't just rested out of nowhere because he was fully human. He was very much tempted by all these things and, you know, difficulties were around him. But he was so anchored in intimacy with Father and Holy Spirit. So how did he cultivate that in his lifestyle? So that he was the kind of person that he was, right? Rested, peaceful. Mm. Hallelujah. Right? So that when, when situations arose, when storms came, when the cross came, when different things came, when he was accused... He was able to respond and do what he did with authority, right? Can you imagine Jesus not really having the heart, but like forcing himself, okay, I'm Jesus. I got to love, right? No, it's, it's, he was the kind of person, right? And he, he, it just naturally flowed out of his heart and being. And, and that's the vision for us, to become like our master, to become like our master Jesus, right? And that's the invitation of Jesus uh, this morning for us. He calls us to rest, but he calls us to learn the lifestyle of rest, restedness, right? To be anchored and rooted in him. And I pray that blessing over Rooftop and uh, this beautiful community here. Shall we pray together?